Inside, it's comfortable. Inside a house, inside a family, inside a routine. But what if we widen our view beyond the fence across the street? Outside, we find people struggling with loneliness, poverty, families that don't look like ours or without a safe family at all. Jesus didn't call us to live by our neighbors. He called us to love our neighbors. You know, just because I have the right to do something doesn't mean I should always do it. Would you agree? I bring up the subject of something that came to my Facebook feed, which is momentary tattoos. And so I've been drawn to a lion tattoo. And my, my thought is gone, well, what if I try it out? You know, it's momentary. I could put it on my arm or my back, you know. I kind of like lions. I've always liked the Lion King and saying Mufasa. My beard kind of reminds me of a mane. Maybe it'd make me tough in the gym, you know, give me some street cred, man cred, right? Uh, maybe I could relate to the millennials a little bit more. So, so, so maybe I should try the lion tattoo. Now, audience poll, I'm just wondering, uh, thumbs up, thumbs down on tattoo. I'm seeing more down. I'm seeing, seeing more down. Okay, okay. But you would maybe agree that as a grown adult, I have the right to do it. You know, I could do this, or I could get Mickey Mouse, or, or something else that I like. You know, I have the right to do all these things. But the question is, should I? And what will determine whether I should or shouldn't? What should go in my mind as I consider something free, like a, a tattoo? Have you ever asked the question, should I? You know, sometimes um, this comes up in what to eat. You know, I could eat this, but should I? Do you remember a couple years back when there was the Tide Pods Challenge? Uh, that was crazy, right? Should you eat Tide Pods? No, is the answer. And if you're old like me, getting soap in your mouth was usually when you used a dirty word and your, your mother was washing your mouth out with soap. Why would you choose uh, to eat this poison? No, don't do that. Some of you might know, do you know you can eat trace amounts of Play-Doh and Elmer's glue and that it won't actually hurt your body? But should you eat Play-Doh? Should you eat Elmer's glue? No, Sophia, don't do it. Wrong choice. So there are areas that we can do something, but should we do something? Now, to justify what we have chosen to do, I grew up in an age where we heard the phrase, it's a free country. You remember hearing this? It's a free country. And usually when people are using it, it wasn't because they loved the United States of America. They weren't really expressing the freedoms that we are celebrating this coming week of freedom to worship or freedom to gather, freedom of speech. Usually when they said it's a free country, they were justifying what they did. I can do what I want, I can say what I want, as long as I have the right to do it. After all, it's a free country, right? In fact, I think that that's how many people operate. And so if you're taking notes, here's a first takeaway. I think many people process things this way when it comes to freedom. If I have the right to, and I want to, let's do. If I have the right to, and I want to, well, let's do it. And this has come to the forefront during this period of time in our culture. For example, going to the store. If I have the right to, and I want to, 
well, let's do for using my free speech when talking to my neighbor, when talking to my family. Well, if I have the right to state it and I want to state it, well, let's state it. Or how about these things, right? This is a big issue. And by the way, if you have glasses, I empathize. I wear glasses too, and they fog up. Like, if I'm an inventor, I'm going to make like something that defogs glasses. Someone needs to get on that. But some of us process and say, well, if I have the right not to, and I don't want to, let's do. And by doing, I see not doing. And none of this is bad, but, but part of me wonders during this time, just because we can do something, should we do it? And the reason this has become so apparent, so apparent to me as a pastor is because this is what our church has had to debate, right? Um, when it comes to the Paycheck Protection Program. Our, our church had the right to, and, and perhaps wanted to, but actually chose not to, uh, for reasons we'll get into later. Or for gathering. There were churches in the Chicago area that were suing our governor. And actually, there were loopholes where you could meet and, and not be, you know, a federal offense, right? And so if, if we had the right to and we wanted to, well, let's do. But is there something more we should consider in all of our decisions? That's what I want to talk about. And how great it is that we have God's word as our guide. How great it is that I don't have to share my opinion today. We get to hear the voice of God speak through his word to guard our hearts and direct our lives. I don't know about you, but I've loved this series on how to neighbor because it opens our eyes on how God's way to handle people is so many times different than the way of the world. God's way. We learn in, in the Good Samaritan that uh, just as, as culture uh, wants to love all and, and create all equal, so, so God says, yes, you should love all. And treat all equal. It doesn't matter gender or race. It doesn't matter political opinion or socioeconomic status. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, love even your enemy. You know, last week if you were here, we talked about fathers and what makes a good dad. And, and a good dad is someone who says, after you. Not just verbally, but with their actions. After you. And today, I love the topic of freedom. And where God's going to direct us. And so the topic theologically, and, and you can feel like you're really educated at Amazing Love, we're going to talk about a theological term called adiaphora. And can you just say that out loud if you're comfortable? Adiaphora. Now, now what is adiaphora? Uh, that in this world there are things God has forbidden. For example, he says, don't steal, don't murder, don't covet, don't do those things. There are also things that he's commanded. Honor your father and mother, worship the Lord. Be generous. There's forbidden and commanded, but adiaphora are literally the middle things or the indifferent things. And actually, they represent a whole lot of life. Like, who should I marry? And what car should I drive? And what college should I go to? And what career path should I take? And how many kids should we plan for? And, and should we move or shouldn't we move? And, and how should I spend my time on the weekend? And, and, and how should I talk to others? And, and what should I post? And all these things are in the middle. And as we look at those middle things, we want a better lens than if I want to and I have the right to. 
a lens that I hope to give you today through the Word of God. So you ready? Still with me? All right. And uh, what we're going to talk about in, in the context is what to eat. That's what Paul was talking about. What should I eat? And he wasn't talking about Tide Pods and Elmer's glue. Um, in the current context, he was talking about eating meat that could have been sacrificed to idols in the marketplace in a town called Corinth. Paul was talking to Christians in a very pagan city where there was huge idolatry, uh, the worship of many gods. And so the Christians were wrestling, if this food had been also sacrificed to an idol, should we partake or should we avoid? And here's where he lays a lens of how to handle our freedom. So if you're at home and, and here too, we do something in honor of God's word, uh, can we just stand as we hear the word of God, knowing that it's his voice? We're going to read the whole thing and then dissect it this morning. So it says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in a sacrifice, and to explain, it's like if partaking you give the impression that you're okay with idolatry. If by partaking you're saying, well, I too worship that false god. If someone says this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. For those looking on might think you're an idolater. For those who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now pause there. Some of you know this is why you're on planet Earth. This is the purpose statement for every Christian. If you're on Earth, whatever you find to do, it should be leveraged for the glory of God. That's our purpose. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. These are the directives that Paul has for us. Could you turn to a neighbor and just tell him, Jesus has set us free. Jesus has set us free. Awesome. Feel free to be seated. <clears throat> I see some teenagers here. And teenagers, you can nod your head if mom or dad has ever seemed restrictive. Has mom or dad ever seemed restrictive? Now, still honor them, but... but the reason I say this is because when, when I was a teen, you know, I honored my father and mother, and, and yet at times, I felt restricted. For example, it could be the issue of curfew. Mom, Dad, everyone else stays out to midnight. Why is mine 1030? Right? It could be the issue of dating. Mom, Dad, everyone else is dating in high school. Why do I have to wait till I'm 35? Because you're a, a girl in my household. That's why. Mom and dad, everyone else seems to be doing this and that, and, and nothing is hurt when they go to that party, and, and it doesn't seem like they're getting in trouble. In fact, they seem like much more happy because they're partying on the weekends. Why can't I? Have you ever felt restrictive? 
It's interesting because I think that's many people's experience when it comes to God. And this usually comes up when I talk about the Garden of Eden. And I, I talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what usually comes up is this, like, teenage rebellious spirit where we look at God and we say, well, why can't I? Why would you have a tree that I can't participate in? Now, that's one way of looking at it. Do you know another way? Out of hundreds, if not thousands of trees, you only can't eat from one. Again, understand, hundreds and thousands of trees, everything else in all creation is all yours for the taking. And God has just said one thing, <laughs> not that one. He has one law and then complete freedom. And we sometimes get the sense that God is restrictive. Now, flash forward to today's age. Have you ever thought that God was restrictive? Do you know you can boil down all of God's law into a single word? And some of you know the single word of God's law. It is love. That's a good God. I want you to love me by worshiping and listening to me. I want you to love others. And by the way, here's extensions of love. Don't kill them. Don't speak bad about them. Don't sleep with their spouses. Just love. Is God really a God of restriction? I don't believe so. In fact, the first takeaway I, I'd, I'd convince you on is this, that God is a God of freedom. When it came to those middle things, the adiatha, there are so many things that you can choose and pick for your day, for your life. There is tremendous freedom that each day is kind of like a blank canvas and you get a paintbrush. It's pretty awesome. And we recognize this based on what Paul said about food. So Paul just has one arena of life, which is what to eat. And, and his, his getting into it is, is this uh, from our section. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. He's basically saying, the earth is the Lord, so anything that you'd like to eat, feel free to eat. You can't sin by eating it. And so this kind of reminds me of the things that people are free to eat. I went to Wisconsin recently, and I was in the lake, and at the bottom of the lake were snails. And I had this thought, I could eat those. But then secondary to that thought was, should I eat those? <laughs> and then I realized that for some people this is very common. It's called escargot, right? That they would actually take these lake creatures that look like, you know, bugs and, and put them in a dish and, and have, have a day. Eat it. And you're free to eat so many different things. Dan loves steak tartare with a raw egg and capers. It's great. But not everyone would look at that and maybe say, that's delicious, but Dan, I think it is too. Or maybe you look at a, a beef sandwich. And I know when I came to the area, to dip it, the whole thing, the bread too in au jus, didn't seem to make sense. But now, I'm one of you. I dip that baby. The more the better. Let's get it soggy and messy, and I think that's why I have greasy hair, because it's au jus, right? So, so God is establishing, when it comes to what you eat, you can eat anything. Don't worry about it. Right? God is not restrictive. In fact, he references uh, the earth as the Lord and everything in it. And some of you know this is a psalm, Psalm 24. 
And commentators would say this was a mealtime prayer, that Jews over their mealtime would make this blessing before they ate. After all, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Side note for prayer, it is great to pray through the Psalms. And some of you have used another mealtime prayer uh, through the Psalms. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord. You give them the food at the proper time. You open your hand, satisfy the desire of every living thing. Great to pray through the Psalms. So this is just one area, but I'd love to convince you that God is a God of freedom. So then why do we sometimes feel that God is restrictive? Could I conjecture a little bit as a pastor? My conjecture, it is not so much have to do with God as it does with Christians and Christian churches. And what it has to do actually is with the error of legalism. Do you know what legalism is? It is taking a middle thing and making it a commanded or a forbidden thing. It's taking an area of freedom and now saying, you better not and you best not, and I might not tell you you're sinning, but I'll give you the impression if you're sinning, if you do. I remember a legalistic encounter I had in church as a young kid. We were in Orlando, and, um, and this person did not like Disney World. They gave me this whole barrage of why, as a Christian, they would never go to Disney World. And, I mean, they had subpoints and points, and, I mean, it was a whole theory and premise. But I remember leaving that conversation with the impression that if I didn't also agree that I should never go to Disney World again, that perhaps I didn't love God that much. That perhaps I wasn't a good Christian. You ever been in that kind of context? Where someone takes an area of freedom and then binds your conscience with it. Now for me as a pastor, I know this has come up when it comes to worship. Now, what does the New Testament say about worship? What song does it tell us to sing or instrument does it tell us to use? The answer is any instrument. <laughs> Read Psalm 150. It talks about cymbals and instruments we don't have anymore, like the lyre and, and stringed instruments and percussion. It, it says many different instruments. But man, there are some debates over what you should really sing. Or order of worship? What does the New Testament say on how the order of worship should go down? The New Testament is free. Use the word. Use the sacraments. It does not speak of style and of order. But have you ever felt restricted? And so just to separate what God has actually said and where man can sometimes unnecessarily bind consciences is a really great thing. But back to the point, if I have the right to do something and I want to do something, does it necessarily mean that I should do it? Here's where Paul gives us guidance. And this is the first. So I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So his first guidance is this. Does it bring people together? What you're doing with your freedom... Does it unite? Because that's the word beneficial. Literally in the Greek, it means to, to bring people together. When you use your freedom of speech and action, does it unite or divide? And what are you going for? The second one, is it constructive? Literally, does it build up and edify? When you choose to say something or do something, does it truly build up? Is it truly helpful? Or is it not? And so where I think Paul is leading us is this, our, our first takeaway. 
Here's a better principle. You can neighbor by bringing together and building up. And when it comes to your use of freedom, being about that. So back to my tattoo. One way I could look at it is that it would bring me together. For example, I think the current generation sees it as a sign of self-expression. And just as I have crazy hairstyle, so I could have a crazy lion and then be like, oh, cool, you know how to express yourself, Pastor. I dig you. That, that's one thing that I could think about when considering a tattoo. But another viewpoint <laughs> is that some look at a tattoo as a sign of rebellion. Some look at it as, what are you trying to prove and who do you think you are? And maybe I should consider that too before I just proceed. Or who will I more likely offend as a pastor in particular? All right, so that's one way of approaching it then. Or what about worship when it comes to building up? Yes, we're free to sing many songs, but do all songs equally edify? Now, those are interesting debates, <laughs> right? But our goal should be one that gives God glory that speaks clearly of the word of God, that is able to understand and gives the depth of the glory of God in what we do as a church. In fact, what I'm reminded about in worship is when Paul talked about tongues, speaking in tongues in Corinthians. Um, he, he could have been referring to angelic uh, language. He could also be referring to just the language we don't speak anymore. Regardless, he said, unless there's an interpreter, don't use it in church. Unless people understand what you're saying, it's not going to edify. It's not going to build up. And so over all of it, when it comes to worship, he says, do whatever will build up the body. But there's freedom. And so where does this land for a culture or for you? You know, I consider, again, the wearing of masks. If I don't want to, and I have the right not to, should I? And is that the only thing? I guess I should also consider my neighbor, and they're good. When it comes to what I say about politics or how states are handling COVID and, and what I do as a person, maybe I should consider, does this build up and bring together? When I decide in my actions to do certain things, I, I have in mind not just myself, but other people. In fact, the overarching principle for today when it comes to freedom is this. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. You know, I was reading a, a commentary about this, and, and I loved uh, this take on the, the dichotomy. Uh, so Gordon Fee, he had this to say. Knowledge and rights lead to pride. They're ultimately non-Christian because the bottom line is selfishness. Freedom do as I please when I please. Love and freedom lead to edification. They're ultimately Christian because the bottom line is the benefit of someone else, that they may be saved. How is your track record of simply using your freedom for other people? Of before jumping to do something, asking how will this affect my neighbor? Do you know what I found? This is so hard to do. It's easier to preach. It's easier to do what works for me than to pause and consider those around me. 
Do you know I recognize once again that I struggle with this sin? I've yet to be perfected, and, and maybe you'd say the same. Which is why the center of the, the message that we preach is not a Dustin Bloomer and it's not a church people. It is Jesus Christ. Because you know who Jesus is? The one completely free. With the right to do what he wants, when he wants, without every, anyone ever objecting. He had complete freedom in the upper room. In fact, if you heard from the first lesson, everything was under his feet. And yet, what did he do in complete freedom? He ties a towel around his waist. He bends his knee and in freedom washes and serves the stinky feet of his disciples. And he gets up and he tells his disciples, this is how you do it. You want a neighbor well? You want to love well? Well, then you look to the good of others and you lower yourself and you make sure that they benefit first. This is the same God who allowed himself to be tied, hands and feet to go to court, allowed himself to be bound to the cross, pierced hands and feet, and he stayed there when he could have gotten down because he sought your good, because he loved you that much, so that he could win for you forgiveness and joy and life so that he could convince you he's overcome every bad thing in your world and truly set you free from all that matters, guilt and shame and eternal death. It's all gone because of him. This Jesus is so far superior and his way is so good. And so Paul reminds us, this is what I'm trying to do because this is what Christ has done. He said, follow my example to conclude this this lesson, as I follow the example of Christ. And so that, too, is our marching orders. Ours is to consider the good of others. Now, as we continue on, something that's really interesting is how easily people are offended today. Would you agree that we live in a culture of an offense? Of offense? Yeah, yeah. And so I saw this meme on Facebook, and I thought it made sense, and I love Forrest Gump anyway. Um, and one particular day, for no particular reason, we became offended by everything. And you think of all the things you could get offended by, right? How people are handling COVID, political disagreement, race relations, right? All these things are super heightened. And what's really interesting is that, and this happens even relationally, like, if I want to take the worst construction on something and, and then, you know, take it to that level, I can be offended by seemingly anything. Have you ever done that, you know, with people? Like maybe, you know, you, you took it to the worst level, um, which is super unhelpful just in, in like marriage and life, right? Um, I am not unguilty of that. But this is the era we live in, right, where, where people are doing that and, and they're drawing a fence, it's a reason that I love what Toby Mac put on Facebook. He said, I just saw a post I didn't agree with. I kept scrolling. Tried some time. It didn't hurt. <laughs> it's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> pretty good. And something I caution you just out of love as a pastor is that the more you're on social media or listening to the news, the more your, your likelihood of being offended will increase. I guarantee you. Or like having that blood boiling, 
Isn't that a fun feeling where your blood starts to boil because it's just like, ah! Which is also why I love God's word today. Because as Paul gets into the word and is guiding the Christians, he isn't asking, are you offended? Are your delicate sensibilities being touched or, or stepped on? No, he flips the dialogue. He doesn't care if they're offended. He is making sure that they are not the reason for offense. And that's a completely different dialogue, isn't it? In fact, in verse 32, he says this. He says, don't cause anyone to stumble. You should not be the offending party, whether Jews or Greeks, to the church of God. And so he sets up this idea of going to eat at an unbeliever's house. And because he flipped the dialogue of, you better not give offense, he says, if they serve something to you, and they're just trying to be nice and hospitable, eat it. It would be very rude not to eat what they served you. That would not be loving, and that still translates today, right? You might have food preferences, but when you go to a house, what do you do? You eat what is served out of love for that person, right? And then he brings up the idea of unless someone comes in and tells you that this food was sacrificed to an idol and that the impression you'd give is that Christians are idol worshipers. If you are to give that impression during this eating because someone said that, you should not eat it, even though it's just meat. It's just whatever. You're free. It's like snails. I don't know why you want to eat it, but you can eat it. But if that's the impression, don't sin, right? You're not an idol worshiper. But in this dialogue, he never asks if they would be offended by going to an unbeliever's house or be offended by the food that they served. He's flipping the dialogue, saying you got to take a different lens and make sure you're not the reason for offense. You see how helpful that is? And so this is how we neighbor. By being more concerned if I caused offense than if I'm offended. Right? As I approach my areas of freedom, I don't have to judge someone else's freedom. In fact, on this, I should strive for the correct interpretation, right? Instead of worst, I, I love what Luther said. This is an explanation of one of his commandments. He said, when it comes to others, defend them, speak well of them, and, and take their words and actions in the kindest possible way. And, and this has become so relevant in the age we live in, yeah? So relevant as, as there are so many different opinions. Even if I don't agree with someone's opinion. I can still maybe get into this lens where I see where they're coming from, right? I, I can maybe see the stats and the figures that they're coming from, right? And, and so we, we try to, whenever possible, think well of other people, right? Take it in the best possible way. And so I'm still not done with my tattoo illustration. <laughs> yes, when I choose to get a tattoo or not. I should be concerned if I'm causing offense. But you know what a Christian should do on the other end? They should be making sure that they're interpreting my actions in the kindest possible way. And when both things are happening, how much peace is possible? How much can't we get along with, regardless of differing opinions, when both are going on? How good is the word of God? You know, to close today, I wanted to give you just like a picture if, if Christians took this and, uh, and just lived it out more and more and more. 
And I think a great picture of how to handle freedom is, is those who are first dating and really into that other person. Do you remember how much freedom you give up when you're really into that person? I remember this with my brother. My brother was the guy who introduced me to rock, right? He, he knew how to jam. But then when he met the girl that he wanted to marry, he, he changed from rock to Sarah McLaughlin. That, that's a difference, right? And, uh, and I remember, right? But that's what you do. You transform. I'm thinking of you. I'm trying to make this work. You know, as we dwell in the Holy Spirit, do you know what is more important than who we actually are? What is more important than me, who is a taco-eating, car-loving, college football-watching type of guy, what is more important than that is who I need to be in order to love you. What's more important than who I actually am is how God might use me to, to lower myself to talk to you and hopefully even show you the Savior. So even though I'm taco-eating, if you're serving hummus, I ask, can I bring the crackers? Even though I'm college football watching, if you're watching soccer, I ask, so what's your team? That's interesting. Because way more important than who I am is how God would use me to show the world who he is. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter who I am. God, what do you need me to be so that they might see you? Let's do that, church of God. And that's how we neighbor. So our final point, neighbor by being what others need in order to see Jesus. Because this is our Savior God who emptied himself and became what we needed to have peace and joy and hope eternal. 